Hello, podcast listeners. This is Jerry Pickney, and today's episode is with Sergeant Luke Morse of Green County Jail. In today's episode, we talk about the life of a jailer, how to remain calm in a chaotic situation, leadership, and why the majority of inmates are repeat offenders. With that, here's today's episode with Sergeant Luke Morse. You sure you don't want any mushroom coffee, man? That yeah. that could have taken this next level. I'm I'm good. Uh, nobody, thank you though. Nobody ever wants the mushroom coffee. Chris, hey, what's the last it. cup of mushroom coffee you had? Uh, probably 2023. Yeah, well, you know, I might have had it. one this year, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Okay, you're not opposed to it. No. Um, Luke, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate you hanging out. Thanks for having me. Uh, you're a rector boy. Yes, sir. Born and raised. I was born in the uh, west side of Arkansas, but moved to the east very young. I don't remember any of the west. I did okay. all my schooling and, and growing up. Well, what was uh, what was life like for you in a rector growing up? Like, kind of what were what were you into? What did the day to day look like over there? Uh, well, I mean, sports, anything I could do outside. I was just playing with my friends, any kind of sports. And yeah. as I got older, that turned to school ball and. You know, that kind of takes over who you are. Yeah. You said you played football? Yes, sir. They, uh, is it, what is it, eight on eight, seven on seven? What is it they do in record now? I, I'm not 100% sure. I think it's seven on seven. Whatever it is, they're they, really good at I it. I say they won state, so. <laughs> when you were there, it was not that, though. You guys were full team, right? <laughs> we were full team. Not only were we full team, we were also, uh, my senior year, we broke a three or four year losing streak. So we weren't winning state either. <laughs> yeah. It was maybe a good move on their part too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Back when I was in school, you played football at Rector because you love the sport, not because you love winning. <laughs> what did you like about football? Uh, the sport itself in general. The, the team, it's, it's, it's the ultimate team sport. Yeah. You, you can have the best player on the team, still lose every game. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. It is a great team sport. What position were you? Center. Center. That's a very important position. If you don't know anything about football, and it's like, you know, I've learned a little bit more about it. I didn't play at all, and as you could probably guess, in in school, I was a tennis guy. Uh, It was a much safer sport for someone my size. But, you know, from just like the casual viewer, you look and you're like, okay, like you just have to put your hands up and block somebody. It's like, it's incredible how much. I mean, I know it's a big part of it, but. Yeah, uh, there's more into it than that. I mean, it's it's a violent sport. Whatever, whichever way you it look is. at it, it's a violent sport. But they're and trying they're, to make it softer, and it is softer. But it, at the end of the day, it's yeah, one person going up and next person to see who can physically dominate them, <laughs> yeah. and that's just what it is. It's a lot of fun, man. Yeah, they can make it as safe as they want, but at the end of the day, it's still what it is. Yeah. So when you when did you graduate from Rector? Two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Uh, did you know what you wanted to do as soon as you graduated, or did you kind of no. take a different path where you are today? I had no clue. Uh, I had plans to go to college, uh, but got a job digging ditches uh, with a little sidearm ditcher right out of high school. Started making a little bit of money and never never went back to the college route until I got a little older. But uh, you know, once I started making money and putting it in my pocket, it wasn't. It's hard to get back into college. Yeah, I was, about I was getting looking, all those loans. Yeah, and, I was looking to get out of Dad's house. Is what I was looking for after that. So it just didn't uh, didn't go the way I had seen it going. But it, it was the way you know God took me. So yeah. How did you get where you are right now? <sighs> my wife. <laughs> 
I had a lot of maturing to do. And once I married my wife, that happened. Mm. And, you know, I went basically when I was out of high school, I, I just started working with my hands, digging the ditches, uh, working for farmers, stuff like that. Uh, when when the family started, we needed the benefits. So then I started the factory. Uh, factory life is, is not easy on the body. No. Somebody just standing upon the concrete all day long. And just in anything. You know, I've, I've worked at Utility. I've worked at uh, ARI. I've worked at well, Greenbrier now. But I've worked at Anchor. You know, they're all doing different stuff. But at the end of the day, it's still hard on the joints. Yes. Whatever it is. It's a physical job. Uh. And once that got to be wearing me down, wife noticed that there was a uh, an opening at the jail, and one of my childhood friends was was higher up at Green County, still is. Mm. Who's that? Uh, Dane Barham. Okay. Yeah, he. Uh, I messaged him and got cool. some information about it, and then just applied. And it worked out. Why did she think that you'd be interested in that job? Because first off, my wife would never knew if, would know if a job like that came available. And secondly, if it did, I might be the last person that she would contact about looking into it. Uh, I don't know. At first, it was it had to be the money. It was paying more than where I was at. And while I don't think that's a good reason to get into a field, you know, it is a part of it. Sure it is. So... And I wasn't sure how I would be. This is the first, you know, job I've had. You had never really, like, fantasized about that kind of work. You're not, like, looking no. into it, researching it. No, and even now still, you know, most people that get a job uh, in in the jails are looking to go over the road and become deputies. I'm, I'm not looking to do that. Really? So that's not – I don't see myself doing that. So you are content where you are in the jail. Mm-hmm. Tell me about – how do you become, I guess, did you start out as a jailer? Just Yeah. Okay, tell me how that process takes place. Uh, well, I started under uh, the older administration. You know, Mr. Uh, Brad Snyder was not there when I first got there. Now, he, he won shortly. I wasn't there very long before he, he took over. Uh, but it's a different administration. Uh, it's more... Uh, you, you know what, what to, what's expected of you a lot more now. Mm. Uh, but the, the process is, you know, I was nervous at first because I didn't know what to expect really. Uh, and I started on nights. And it's, it's the process is basically you're, for lack of a better word, you're, you're a babysitter. Yeah. How did they, what's, what is it, back me up to even the, like the interview, the the application process, like are they, Obviously, background check. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, are, is it just like a typical, like if I was applying at a factory anywhere else, I just start putting my work history on there and things like that, and then they yeah, bring you for an interview? It's it's Everything's pretty typical up into the interview process. The interview uh, was different than what I had experienced in, in Tell my about past. the interview. Like, what are they asking you? It's, you know, uh, they're basically asking if you can tell people what to do and not abuse an authority figure. Uh, they're, from from my experience, they're trying to see why you're in the position because a lot of people try to take these positions for the wrong reasons. And well, like you for can what? Tell, like what would be just just to be able to tell people what to do? Ah, for the uh, power. Yeah. Uh, and 
it doesn't make that much sense because there's not that much power because mm-hmm. there's always someone telling you what to do. And you know what I mean? Yep. There's, there's always, whether it's, you know, you telling an inmate what to do, your boss telling you what to do, their boss yeah. telling them what to do. I mean, there's always someone telling you what to do. Had you had, you said that so, in the interview process, they're asking, they're basically trying to figure out, can you tell someone else what to do? Cause that is going to be part of the job, right? With the inmates. Mm-hmm. Had you had experience of that to where you're like, oh, yeah, like I when this ditch digging company or at the factory, like I was a supervisor, I was this or that, or were you still kind of like, I think so, but I don't really have any uh, any proof of that? I had no proof. I knew I could, mm-hmm. uh, but I, there was no proof. You know, they're, they're all, it's not juvenile, so it's all grown people. Yeah. So you know, my thought processes was, they know where they're at. Yep. They know what they can get away with. I'm going to inform them what they can't, and I'm just going to see what happens. Uh, it it worked out pretty well for me, but I did not know how it was going to go when I first started. Yeah, so you got hired, and you said your first day was actually first night, mm-hmm. right? Um, which I guess is a little bit calmer because they're sleeping. Everyone, the inmates are sleeping? Yeah. Uh, you know, It's a 12-hour shift, so during the day, those 12 hours, they're awake. You okay. wake them up 30 minutes into your shift. Uh, to feed them breakfast. So they're awake that whole time. And on nights, you show up for about six hours. It's really like five and a half. They're awake. And then the rest of the time, they're asleep. Uh, what I've noticed is those five, six hours on nights, they're, they're pretty hectic. Because you've really? got all your daily operations. you got to get done in that amount of time. Okay. So you show up where you think, like, what? Were you nervous? Oh yeah, I like I said, I'd never done anything like this. Uh, what was your biggest fear, if you can remember back that far? Uh, it, it was, I don't guess it was really fear. It was more just strictly nerves, because I'm not. I had an older brother. You can punch me in the face, I'm gonna be all right. Mm. So I wasn't afraid. You weren't afraid of the violence part of it. No football so, player and all that. Yeah, yeah I, there's if. if if something was to pop off, it was going to be all right. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, uh, nervousness of, of finding, finding your voice really. Cause I didn't know it when I started, but there's ways to do it. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Finding your voice? Uh, some people they're going to, they're going to yell and expect you to just, they're going to yell at you and, and they expect them to just listen. And, and it works for some people. You can't be fake. Mm. These people can read people. They're, they're human beings. They they read. If if you don't seem genuine, they're going to be able to tell. So if it's who you are and that's who you are is yelling, then it can work. Huh. But if not, they're going to see right through it. Interesting. Do you think that's true of all people? Like all people can read you like that? Or do you think it's more of just someone who's got more of a criminal background? Well, I, all people. But the difference there is... You know, some of these people have been in there for three months. So they got three months of just watching, watching TV of, you know, what when the TV's on and and conversating with other people who have been in there and watching you, watching the officers, seeing how they are, mm-hmm. seeing what they can and can't get away with. Are there any uh, inmates that, how long have you been there? By the way, at the jail? Uh, a little over a year and a half. Okay. Are there any um, inmates that in a year and a half made you nervous? Yes. 
yeah. Uh, like I said, I can take it. I can. I had an older brother. I can take the physical yeah. side of it, but there's still the nerves to it because there's been the, the unpredictable ones are the ones that make me nervous. When you say unpredictable, you mean like I mean I know what the word unpredictable means, but what is there just behavior super sporadic? Or is it like there's the, the, the really quiet ones? Because sometimes you hear that, you're like, you, you've heard all growing up like, hey, it ain't the really loud ones you got to worry about. And the ones that are always talking trash, it's the really super quiet guys. Like, <laughs> like from, you? from my experience, the ones that talk don't back it up. And the ones that are quiet are the ones that are willing to. <laughs> uh, so, yes, the quiet ones. But more or less, the, what I meant by that was the ones that would be someone that could be happy one minute. Uh, and then the next could be angry enough to catch another charge over, you know, who knows food, what? over a soup, over anything. Yeah. Those are the ones that make me nervous. But yeah. even in that, the way Green County is set up, there's no reason to be nervous. You're always in control. So tell me about that. Like, how does that work? Because, you know, for those of us who are outside of the mm -hmm. jail who aren't in there, it seems so, um, yeah, it seems like such a high-risk job. But I've heard this from, like, Don Critton and other people who've been in there, like, oh, man, like, yeah, the way that it runs, we eliminate so, a ton of risk. I believe we can house up to 400. But there's two, there's a north and a south, and there's eight pods in each one of those. One of those is a yard. It's got a basketball goal, and that's for recreational time. So there's seven housing units. And in those seven, there's 20 to 24 inmates at a time. So we're not facing 400 at a time. At the most, we're going to face 24. And, and do they, they, I mean, what I found, which I thought was fascinating, was because I've toured the jail not too long after it was all renovated and there was the add on. And you know, Don Crittenden was the one that gave me the tour. And like you would walk in, like open a door. And all the inmates would immediately go up against the wall. Mm -hmm. and he didn't even say anything. So, like, that, that surprised me. You know, I figured there'd be a little bit more chaos. Like, like you said, like, when you, when you talk about babysitting, mm -hmm. when I think of babysitting, sometimes it's crazy, right? Like, even my own kids, it's, like, constantly, like, guys, no, for the third well, time. You know, it's well, not that way in the jail, the, at least not what I've seen. Same thing with my kids. They know what they can and can't get away with. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Inmates know what they can and can't get away with. And, mm -hmm. and not being on the wall whenever uh, an officer opens the door is something they can't get away with. And that's something that this new administration has, has pushed and we've enforced and they know now. There's And at first, anytime you start enforcing a rule in any situation, there's always going to be kickback from it. Yeah. But we're past that already. And uh, they know they can't get away with it. So there's no reason for them to try. Because they know it's just going to end the way it ends, and they don't like they don't want it that way. How often do you get someone in the jail here that they've never been in jail before in their entire life? It's not that often, but uh, you know, there's four shifts though. So yeah. typically, when someone new comes in, it's not over. You know, if, if this is their first time being in jail, a lot of the time that's a that's a PI. Okay. Or something in that nature where, you know, they may not even be there till the next court day. They may get a bond, catch that bond, and then just deal with their stuff through the court. And then how many repeat offenders? 
Is that the majority? Yeah, it's a revolving door. I see a lot of the same people consistently coming in and out. Why do you think that is? Because it becomes normalized to them. Because going to jail is just a part of their life. And instead of changing what got them there, they try to become better at what they were doing. And It's just a matter of time before you get caught again. Yeah. Paragold's not that big. Right. People start talking and... Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. Or is is uh, it's Red right? Who's like I can't make it out there. Like he didn't want to go on parole or whatever it was, right? Yeah. He'd been so I guess institutionalized. Yep. Is that part of it as well? To where some people are like, man, I just my life works better in here than it does out there. I know there's a few people that I've met there that. That's how it is. They may not realize it, but that's how it is. They are institutionalized. And and even if they do get out into the free world, you know, out of prison, they're going to end up back in it. Yeah. And there are probably some that I'm guessing are in jail, are probably among the inmates in some of a leadership role and would not be at all out here. Would that be, is that true? Yeah. Or? yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the characteristic of a leader you know, even even though these guys have made some questionable choices and, and, and put themselves in a in a bad spot and that's why they're there, they some of them still have that leadership role. I mean, uh, it's just a characteristic that, that they may have and you can see it because others will, will follow. And it's just, it's funny to me that, that uh, you can see it in such small quantities. Like, because like I said, there's 20 to 24. Yeah. And you'll see the ones that, that are sheep and you'll see the ones that are, Shepherds. What do you think? Is there a characteristic that you typically see in those in prison that step into that shepherd row? The is it kind of just alpha male stuff, or not always? It's alpha male has some to do with it, but uh, the 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 sheep are are just scared. A lot of times has something to do with it in, in jail, and you can sense that, and they can sense that. Everyone there can sense it. You can, if someone's scared in jail, you can tell. Do you give any advice to these guys? Like, for example, like new, like you know, if I go in there, and obviously I've never been in there. Mm-hmm. Are y'all gonna have conversations to me about? Okay, look, dude, big thing. I do. I do. Uh, there was a guy came in that. Uh, a lot of the times, these guys when they get drunk, they think they know the laws more than they do. So then they <laughs> end up in here, and then they don't know what's going on. And if it's a if it's a Thursday night. You ain't have a court again until Monday. Yeah. So you're gonna the, be the, here the, for just yeah. a little bit, yeah. And the, the the judge doesn't have to set a temporary bond. They do, but they don't have to, and they don't have to do it immediately. You could be in here for two days minimum. So those guys you give them a little bit of advice? Uh it depends if they ask. I don't try to overstep anything. Uh but you know, I've had a guy recently, maybe a month ago, come in for that reason thinking he knew the laws better than he did. And uh, he was visibly scared, but not in a way of like, and like he wasn't scared to fight is what he was expressing to me. And uh, I told him it's, it's, it's not, it's not that scary. It's, it's not, uh, as long as you mind your own business and you follow the rules and you don't step overstep your, your boundaries when you get there and you just do what you have to do. It's it's just it's not that bad. Is that the best thing to do? Stay in your lane, keep to yourself. 
keep them to yourself is the best thing to do because even if, like I said, there's 20 to 24 guys, you just get 24 random people, there's going to be about five or six bad ones in there. Same thing in jail. Yeah. It's, it's, someone's going to take your code, try to, try to steal some money off your books. Ah. They'll send a message out to your people or something like, you know, whatever they can do. There's many ways for them to manipulate newcomers. So, so that do, does happen. They do. If they see someone new, they're going to try yeah. to get advantage of them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, the ones that, that are making this a, uh, a life choice, a career path. Mm. Let's say. Yeah. So you start out um, a year and a half ago, and you were just you were a jailer. Yes, sir. But you quickly moved up into – tell me the ranks, by the way, just so I make sure. I know you're a sergeant now. So corporal is the first? Yeah, the first uh, step into leadership is, is, is oper- uh, daily operators, the, the floor officers, and then it's uh, corporals, which is underneath the sergeant, and then there's sergeant. So you said floor – Officer? Yeah, it's uh, I believe we call it an operations officer. Okay, so operations officer, mm-hmm. and then you said corporal. Yes, sir. And then sergeant. Yep. Um, you're a sergeant now. Obviously, how did you? Tell me about that progression. How did that happen? What do you think? I, I guess was Sheila there? Is she mm-hmm. the one that kind of is in charge of the promotions? Uh, there's there's a a few of them. Sheila, Jacob, uh, Dane's input is in there as well uh and it may be that was just for my promotion i don't know how they've done all the others uh typically what they'll do is they'll send out an email for an opening if you're wanting to do it you let them know they'll do an interview process and then they make their decision if you're a corporal you're basically overseeing what like what's your responsibilities as corporal uh basically it's to learn to be a sergeant Okay. And then if the sergeant's not there, you're going to be acting sergeant for the day. Okay. So, what are the responsibilities of a sergeant? To make sure everyone is doing what they're supposed to do. It's, it's just a management role is what it is. As far as the jailers? Jailers and, and inmates. Uh, you, you don't have as much interaction with the inmates because that's the uh, operation officer's job. But there are still times where you have to have to deal with that. And how many jailers do you have on a sh- uh, at a time on a shift? Hmm. On nights there is six, and then a swing. Okay. And on uh, days, I believe there's the same. Are you still days? I mean, are you still nights? Or are you days? Yeah, I'm. I'm still nights. Okay. All right. What have you learned? You think as you've well, let me ask you this first. What do you think uh, the, the people that put you in this position? What do you think they saw in you? To move you into a leadership role. I know it's not easy to mm-hmm. brag on yourself, so what do you think they saw? Uh, probably someone that's just straightforward. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty cutthroat with it. Uh, straightforward with the inmates and the jailers? Yeah. I'll just with tell everything. you the way it is. I'm uh, not going to. Uh, that's how I kind of approach life. I found that you, know, you try to sugarcoat something, then the uh, message gets lost in the process. Yes, it does. So if you're straightforward with it, then yeah, there's no confusion. You said you've learned that. You, did you learn that later in life? Yeah. Or you've always been that way? Uh, later in life. I haven't always been leadership material. 
uh, you know, that, that that came later in life. Were you, like, when you were younger, did you feel like you were more of just, like, I want to try to appease everyone or just tell them what they want to hear, and then later I was in life? More, I was more just not even talking. Okay. I was very quiet. Wow. I still am quiet, but. But you know how to talk with people. Sheila, I asked her to share um, just a text message. You know, we were, we were texting back and forth, and I asked her, you know, just a little bit about you, and um, and she was. I mean, she sent me a pretty long text that you can see right here. Um, but she said, "Let's see if I can find exactly the way she said it." Um, basically, that you were excellent uh, when it comes to de-escalation. Yeah. What do you think yeah. she means by that? I I try my best to uh, rationalize with everyone once. Once something's about to become physical, I lay it out plain and simple. You know what's going to happen. First off, it's not going to be one-on-one. It's not going to be you versus me. It's going to be you versus everyone here. So you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. And even if you get a few shots in, what does that accomplish for you? Because you're still going to get sprayed. So someone, they're starting to get fired up about something. That's mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Yep. And, it, and, and typically it's going to be, is there a common theme? If someone's that mad, they're like... The most common is they're drunk when they come in. Okay. That's the most common. Now, those I'm not able to talk. You can't talk talk a drunk guy down. But But if there's a guy who is sober, but I mean, you know, at least don't have any sort of narcotics or alcohol in them, and they're fighting mad, you you said you're just shooting up a straight? I just talk to them like I would Mm -hmm. before and calm. The angry you get, the more anger or nervousness or... Any of that that you show, they feed off that. If they think that you're scared, they're going to get even more hyped about it. If they think that you're mad, they're going to prove you wrong. If you have no reaction regardless. How do, you, how do you stay calm? What's the secret to that? That's not because that is not true for everybody. Is that just a God-given ability you think you have? Or is that something you've had to learn? Uh, it's it's something I've had to learn here. It's something that this job is, has helped me with because, uh, you know, your emotions are, are – Put all over your face. There's there's ticks everyone has. When most people lie, they'll smile just a little bit. You know, and most of the time, I'll call them out on it. Like you, you know, if you're gonna lie to me, stop smiling. It gives it away. <laughs> uh, but with with if you have any kind of nervousness about the fight, they're gonna you're gonna be able to tell it on your face. Really? So can you tell if they're scared as well? Yeah. Most of the time, their anger is, is what they feel, and you're not scared when you're angry. You know, most of them, most people in those situations that are willing to fight law enforcement, they uh, afterwards, there's always an apology. And afterwards, there's always, that's not me. Afterwards, there's always the, uh, the, the calmness comes back over them, and they're able to think straight. Mm. Nine, nine times out of ten, these people, they're, just like everybody else, but it's they they have. Once you're once you're locked up, and you don't have your freedoms. Your emotions are all you really have. So when you have that, they they get amplified. And a lot of these people, I'm I'm guessing this is a stereotype, mm-hmm. um, but I think this is true of most humans. I'm guessing are not probably like super in tune with their emotions and how to regulate those yep. in a healthy way. And when you're now put in solitude or you're taken out of this world where you can just be busy and run around like crazy and you're forced to sit 
and deal with your emotions. Uh, yeah. Like that's, it's almost like you've shaken somebody up, you know, and then you've set them, they'll set them in there and you're just kind of like, it seems like it, it does provide an opportunity for stuff to begin to ooze out or at times explode. And that's, you, you, you'd rather it ooze out because when it oozes out, then you can get on the right medication that you need. You can get in the right state of mind that you need. And then when you do leave this place, you're better for it. Do you and find a lot of these kids or kids, adults, are they struggling with mental health issues? Yes. What are some of the more predominant mental health issues? Is it like anxiety, depression, or is it like beyond that even? Uh, I think I think a lot of it, it's a touchy subject because it's what is. You know, what I'm is not, mental health? Yeah. yeah, I'm not qualified to, sure. to uh, go too deep into that. But from what I can see, you know, anxiety is in everyone. Yes. But being able to cope with anxiety is what separates the mental illness. I have I have social anxiety a lot of the times. Yeah. But I've learned to cope with it. How have you to get back to the calm conversation around how to stay calm in in very kind of anxious moments? What have you learned about how to do that? Because this is what you've learned in the jail. If you can learn um how to do something, how to stay calm in a situation like that where people are threatening you, you can learn how to do that out here, mm-hmm. I would think, in the real world. So for those who are listening, what are some things maybe you've learned on, okay, here's how I stay centered, here's how I stay calm, even like whenever things around me are kind of getting crazy? Uh, really, you know, in an hour, two hours, three hours, whenever this situation is done, I'm going to go right back to normal. So why why I get upset or why I lose the calmness for that short amount of time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm going to take another breath. You know, I'm going to go home to my kids and my wife. I'm, you know, my next step is still going to happen. So regardless if if, you know, in those situations if I get if I get punched in the mouth, I may get a bloody lip, but I'm I'm going to be able to go by my Mountain Dew, wash it out of my mouth and forward and it's not going to slow me down yeah that reminds me a lot of what max bishop said mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago chris remember this when i was talking to him about the pain that he experiences and i'm like i think you experience pain differently than most people i don't know if you know who max bishop is but um he's just you know he's been a fighter he talked about this idea of like you know everyone wants to be a hammer nobody wants to be the nail but he never mind being the nail you know mm-hmm. and he you know, this, he's a, he's got this calf, you know, last one, a calf video that's going viral where he like last on this calf on ice and, and, and saved it. And he told us that his arm, what was it like? Had got tore out of socket. He, like uh, ripped the bicep off the bone. Yeah. Like yeah. just a couple that's weeks ago. And he said that when he said in that video, he's like, you couldn't tell. But he said, I felt like I was doing that. Someone was shoving an ice pick in my shoulder. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Dude, why'd you do it? And he pretty much said exactly what you just said. He's like, cause I know that one, two things is going to happen is either I'm going to pass out from the pain or it's going to end, and then it's going to be over. Like, it's not going to be forever. And that's basically what you're saying. So it's this idea of, like, sometimes when you're in a chaotic situation or a really scary situation, it feels like this is going to be for the rest of my life, and you forget about the fact that, like, this probably actually isn't going to last very long. I think that's where a lot of people's anxiety stems from. It's because when you're feeling it right then, you feel like you're going to feel it forever, and that's just not how, how feelings and emotions work. 
as the wind changes, so will your emotions. So, yeah. So you, yeah, de-escalation, staying calm. Mm -hmm. That's the big thing. Stay calm and just tell it the way it is. If you're calm, then you can stay in control. Once you lose that, once you're no no longer calm, you're not going to be in control of the situation anymore, and you can't let them have control of the situation. There's a fantastic book out there called The Failure of a Nerve by, he was a, a psychiatrist, Edwin Freeman, I think is his name, and he talks about this idea of being a non-anxious presence. And he says that basically, like, we're we're permeable souls. And so, like, even if I don't tell you I'm anxious, you can tell I'm anxious, mm-hmm. which without you even realizing it can begin to get you, if you're not mm-hmm. regulated emotionally, get you anxious. And now here comes kind of this fever pitch yeah. right in the, in the room. And we're sitting in society right now. We've got a lot of people who are scared to death, and they're acting that way. That's why the world at times feels like it's just on fire. Yeah. Because a lot of it's driven by anxiety. And even what we sometimes classify as anger is actually rage. And he talked about this idea of like rage is really uh, someone's attempt of trying to get bigger than their fears. So really they're terrified. Yeah. And when you're terrified, you feel out of control and anger makes you feel in control. So rage is an attempt. I'm going to get bigger than my fear, but it's still all driven. Like a lot of the anger we see is driven by anxiety, but he talks about in his book, the way what we need is what he literally calls non-anxious leaders Mm -hmm. who can inject calm in the midst of the chaos. And that's what you're basically saying. Well, I'm to me, uh, if you are in a leadership role, if, if you are acting anxious, how are you supposed to, to keep the people you're supposed to lead from being anxious? Yes. Yeah. What have you learned about people from being around just the inmates? What have you learned about just society or humans in general? How has it shaped maybe your thinking a little bit or, or changed your thinking at all? Good people do bad things. Hmm. Can you expand on that? Deeper in that. Good people will consistently do bad things. Why do you say they're good people if they consistently do bad things? Because they're good to other people. Hmm. They just don't make the right decisions for themselves or for the community. A lot of it comes from them being the way they're brought up. If you're brought up around the fact that, okay, uncle's going uncle's gonna to do two years in prison, and that's just a normal thought. Yeah. Then what's what's the difference in me doing two years in prison then? Yeah. yeah. So, Are there certain inmates that tug at your heart that when you look at you're just like, dang, like, man, I wish, like, you could – just see what other people see in you, like that you could see the goodness and you could see your potential? There's, there, there used to be. Uh, <laughs> what I've learned is even the good people do bad things. They yeah. can be good people, but they're going to keep doing bad things. Mm-hmm. So even, you know, I've tried to help a few. Yeah. I've tried, you know, and, and I still will try to have the conversation that, that some of them need, but for the most part, goes in one ear ear and out the other how do we break that cycle or is it not there is there nothing we can do like for as leaders in the community whether it's churches you know you know a therapist whatever are there things that we can do or from your experience does it truly come down to the person just saying i'm tired of this life that's that's what it's got to come down to because uh, in my experience a lot of these people have kids if you could do something to take yourself away from your kids for mm-hmm. months at a time 
and that don't change who you are, I don't see what else will. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is there anything that you see? Is it, I guess, different for different people where maybe one person going to jail one time was enough to change it and do a wake-up call, whereas other people it might take 10 times? Or, like, is it just different for different types of people? I think the types of people have a lot to do with it, but it also, I think it has to do with the upbringing. If it's something that you are accustomed to and you are used to and, and you have normalized in your brain, uh, it's the, that's the biggest thing. It's something that I worried about with the kids because I go work at the jail. I go work at the jail seven days every 14 days. So it's something normal to me. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to think that that's normal. Mm. You know, working at the jail is one thing, but... To, to normalize being in jail at yeah. a young age, then it's it's yes. it's over with. Then you're okay with going to jail. You should never be okay with it. I think it's such an important conversation to have with people that it's so easy. I think if if you're someone who's never struggled with addiction mm-hmm. or never been in jail, it's easy to look and be like, shake your finger at these people and be like, what's your problem? You know, just get your life together. And you don't. And they don't realize like. Like you said, that is their normal. Like mm-hmm. they cannot fathom, just like you can't fathom a world of going to jail, they can't fathom a world of not going to jail. Yeah. Like uh, that's just what they've known. The addiction thing, I mean, that's it's a uh, reoccurring thing in the jail constantly. There's always someone showing up because of their addictions. And that's another thing. I don't know. It's the same thing. Most of them have kids. I don't know how you could let your addiction take because we all have addictions yeah it just sure. depends on what it is sure some addictions are just more destructive than others exactly some and addictions are celebrated in society yeah you know and work is one of those things that can be an addiction yeah. some people will think it's great anything can be an addiction and I mean, honestly we're all addicted to money that's why we do what we do yeah it's to get money so i mean it's just the extent of the addiction but if you can let that addiction take you away from your family that's I if if that doesn't stop. It's getting out of control. Yeah, yeah. If that doesn't stop your addiction, I don't know what's going to. And you know, I've I've had a brother that struggled with addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's thankfully, you know, praise God, he's been uh, sober for ten plus years now. But I mean, there for a while. I mean, I didn't know who he was, Man. and I got to know him, and then he got sober. Yeah. So I mean, it's. I, I get that addiction is real. I just don't see that it's still a choice. And I think that that everyone is making it out to be that it's a disease or whatever. It's a, it's still a choice at the end of the day. Yeah, and it seems like you know I have found that it's those that say that stay stuck in addiction. Part of the reason they stay stuck in it is because they continue to shift the blame mm-hmm. to other people and. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you don't know the life I had, or you don't know the pain I'm dealing with, or this or that. And got I, a sad story. They though. do, and I think that it's easier to sit in self-pity mm-hmm. or to blame somebody else, because if I can blame you, I don't have to change myself. Yeah. And then I say stuck in it, and I think that's a big part of getting out of it is, well, it's AA, right? Yeah. I mean, the first step is admitting I have a problem yeah. that I can't change and I need help. Exactly. It's, it's taking, taking responsibility for it. If you can put the blame off it. Everybody has some sort of trauma in their life. Totally. And every form of trauma can form your brain. Sure. So if that's how we're thinking, then everyone could be addicted to drugs for that reason. Whatever reason, you got to take responsibility for it. Yes. It's a choice. 
Sheila said that um, you're just you're you're really good with people. Um, that you seem to be able to connect well with, whether it's the jailers or the inmates. Is that something that you learned later in life as well? Just as as far as being able to connect with other people and getting uh, their level. I think. I think it just stems from I'm, I'm straightforward. Um, what you see is what you get. Going to be completely honest. I'm not going to sugarcoat. It just makes things simpler. Do you think that makes it easier for people to trust you? Because they so. know that you're going to tell the truth. I hope so. Yeah, I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't force them to do anything like that. I can't force them to trust or anything like that. But I hope that that's what, at least on, you know, the inmates and the officer side. I hope my officers trust me. Yeah. Well, if you don't have trust, you don't have relationships. No. And the quality of our life is often determined by the quality of our relationships. And so trust is very important. Last question I'll ask before we move into some rapid fire is, um, what do you think? I know you've only been doing this for a year and a half, and you said you have no intentions on necessarily getting outside of the jail. You're content where you are. Um, but a year and a half is a long time. It's a year and a half longer than probably 99.9% of people who's listening to this will have spent in jail. Um, what have how do you think it's just changed you as far as just a, as a human being, um, just in how you view life in general? Uh, I don't know if it's changed my view on life, but it has given me, uh, like I said, I'm pretty straightforward and all that, but this leadership, was, that wasn't who I was. Mm-hmm. This job has kind of kind of helped that and uh, given me that tool. Awesome. Uh, and a lot of that credit goes to that administration given the opportunity and giving me the uh the tools needed yeah we got a great group over there man yes we do so i just had a chance to meet sheila when she came on the podcast and uh, really enjoy getting to hang out with her brad's been on here a couple times now i like brad i don't i don't know uh obviously i know rusty i don't know how much you know you interact with with him much but i, I like all those guys and uh, gals and and so there haven't um, been too many people i've met at the green county sheriff department that i haven't liked yeah so. They're good folks, man. Well, let's move into some rapid-fire questions. You ready for it? Yes, sir. All right. Uh, number one, what is either the last show or last movie you watched? Or if you don't watch TV, what's the last book you read? Uh, the last movie I watched was with the wife. I think it was called Let Him Go. Let Him Go. And it was a sad, sad movie. <laughs> was it at the theaters or was it on Netflix? It or was what? on a, one of the streaming. Yeah, okay. Out. My wife picked it out. <laughs> that's awesome uh, Kevin Costner yeah. a western thriller oh you a big western guy or I guess maybe your wife's a western gal well no not typically we were got into Yellowstone and then she got Kevin Costner and then that there was another go. one into it I have not seen one episode of Yellowstone but I did watch was it 1883 is that what it's called I think so I it's really, 1923 really so I think it's yeah I really liked 1883 uh, what's your favorite band Who's an artist you like or band you like? Whiskey Myers. Whiskey Myers. Shout out to Chris Rose. A friend of mine's a huge Whiskey Myers fan. You know Chris. Um, what would be your last meal? Last meal. You can do appetizer, main dish, and dessert. Now the main meal would be fried chicken. Ooh. Mashed potatoes. From anywhere specifically? No. Okay. Nothing... Not going to discriminate. No, no. Wife makes it. That's good enough for me. 
Okay, fried chicken, mashed potatoes, main dish. You want an appetizer? Yeah, I don't need an appetizer. Okay, that, yeah. you're just going to crush that. Yeah. What about dessert? Uh, chocolate cake. There you go, man. Super classic. Fried chicken, mashed potatoes, chocolate cake. Uh, what is on your nightstand right now? A vape. That's it? No, That's no it. lamp? Nope. Lamp's on the wife's side. Okay. I, uh, that's a very simple, that's probably the, the, the most simple answer we've ever got on the night. I really hope it's like a really large side table <laughs> and there's just a single vape in the, cent- uh, the center it, of it. If I put anything else, my phone will end up on it at night, but I, it's in my pocket right now. But if I put anything, when I go to put my phone on there, it's going to knock everything off. It's going <laughs> to wake the baby up. Oh, and It's just not going to be good. So I keep it pretty cleared off. Right on. Um, Give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. So just an ordinary moment that brings you a lot of happiness. Just watching watching anything the kids do at school. Mm-hmm. Any kind of, you know, my daughter's into whatever she can be into. My son's into Minecraft, but he you yep. know, will play yep. baseball as well. Uh, How old are your kids? i got a 13-year-old. I have uh, Isabella, my daughter, my Noah is six and then Ezekiel is one. Okay. It's a good spread. Oh, yeah. Well if we'd have planned oh, it out in. better, they'd <laughs> all be a lot closer. <laughs> I just recently had to restart. Uh, yeah. Is your Otis at Tech or Paragle? Marmaduke. A Marmaduke, okay. Yeah. Is that where you live? Yes. Okay. The big city. Mm-hmm. Um last question. What is one thing that you're really thankful for right now? My wife. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be who I am today without my wife. She has changed me for the better and kept all the good qualities I did have. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a good lady. Luke, thanks so much, man. Really enjoy getting to meet you, hang out with you, and so uh, appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you having me on. All right. Sergeant Luke Morris has left the building. Enjoy getting a chance to connect with him. I think the topic of remaining calm in the midst of a very chaotic situation is a underrated mm-hmm. conversation that needs to be had more and I, it calls me to think about am I doing that myself I think so often I can get totally caught up yeah wound up in emotions 100% in the moment and forget that it's fleeting that this too shall pass so um, Sergeant Morris thanks so much for coming in thanks for all that you do and for those of you who are still listening we appreciate you also tuning in if you've not done so please go to our different social media platforms you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook that's where we are primarily give us a like and a follow there and if you've not done this whatever platform you're listening on whether it be uh, Spotify or Apple something else please take time to give us a five star rating that just helps people to find us more quickly and learn about the incredible people that are living right here in our community as always thanks for listening Until next time.